Oh, why, hello there. This is Joe, and you are listening to The Show with Joe. The show is about me communicating to you what I find interesting. And this is my first go, so bear with me. My plan for this show isn't much of a plan. It's more of a, hey, this is interesting. I'm going to read into that, research it, and talk about it. The first topic is a book I absolutely love. I plan to read a chapter, research the content, and present it to you in a rather average Joe fashion. If you end up falling asleep during this podcast, please don't hesitate to have a cup of me. You know, a cup of Joe. As you can tell, I am reaching the age of dad jokes. But let's face it, I've been dropping dad jokes since I left high school. So beware, dad jokes may or may not happen throughout the podcast. So who am I? I'm just a guy. Put that in your rhyme books. <laughs> I, uh, I graduated from a small college with a degree in physics. I minored in computer science, math, and philosophy. After a couple of years working as a physicist on software that models physical environments, I decided to be that guy who focused on writing the software rather than being the physicist who set up the math for the software. I was lucky enough to have a career that utilized my major and two of my three minors. Now I am mainly a computer scientist with an affinity for software analysis and testing. I wanted to start podcasting so that I can exercise the other passion in me, my philosophical side. I found myself in a slump philosophically. I tended towards just going to work, playing some video games, and I I love reading, but it's hard for me to read as much as I'd like to. So this podcast will hopefully jumpstart my mind into more than just coding standards and software testing. Anyway, enough about me. Onward. This podcast is brought to you by no one, just me. Enjoy. Thank you, Anthony Katona, for that fantastic jingle. So, what are we talking about today? Carl Sagan, in his amazing book, The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. What a menacing title. And for good reason. So, who the heck is Carl Sagan? Well, I guess I'll tell you. Carl Sagan is one of the best science popularizers to ever live. He was quite the advocate for science literacy throughout America and the world. He is well known for his work with the television series Cosmos that you now see Neil deGrasse Tyson spearheading. He was also the author of the book Contact, which later became a major motion picture featuring Jodie Foster and Matthew All right, all right, all right, McConaughey. My boy Carl earned bachelor's and master's degrees in physics and went on to earn his doctorate in astronomy and astrophysics. He has a lot of awesome insights about many different subjects, and if these podcasts don't make you want to learn more about him, then 
I am a terrible, terrible person for failing you. He's amazing. As you can already tell, Carl Sagan is my most favorite science commentator and science writer. Neil Tyson is cool and all, but there's just something refreshing about Sagan. His soothing voice, his amazing propensity to write beautifully. There aren't enough words for me to explain how much I appreciate all the work he has done for the science community and for the world of science literature and education. So I decided to reread one of my favorite books he has written in the hopes to spread his knowledge and to also just revel in his thoughts, ideas, and just straight-up facts. So, Demon Haunted World. Science as a Candle in the Dark. What is this book all about? Well, this book is basically Carl Sagan warning us about the dangers of science illiteracy and the prevalence of pseudoscience in our culture. Although his book was written about 15 years ago, 1995, the content is ever so relevant. So let's dig in. Preface. My Teachers. This is the, uh, the first chapter, but not the first chapter. You know, the chapter before the first chapter. Some might call it the preface. So, in the preface, Sagan starts off diving into his personal story about his childhood. He was being bullied by some kid, and he got really angry and punched a store's glass window. After doing this, the bully backed off and never bullied him again. His parents didn't get mad or punish him because he was already a timid boy, and they were just happy that he was able to express anger in a moment where he should have expressed it. However, his mother did tell him this as they peered out their New York apartment window and into or across the Atlantic Ocean. There are people fighting out there, killing each other, as she waved out into the ocean. Carl replied that he knew, and he could see them. To which his mother replied back, No, you can't. They're too far away. Carl went on with how he pictured what he thought was a strip of land far out into the ocean. He imagined comic book characters fighting. He then thought, how can you tell when someone is only imagining? This excerpt is one of the major themes in this book. What Carl hints at here is that children have great imaginations. They can see what others cannot. In fact, a lot of this book will cover how this very thing hinders our will to truly understand what is real and what isn't. Children, as we all know, are fallible. Yet, we somehow think that we... The adults are not. When I was a kid, I did selfish things, as kids do. I remember doing something that really angered my father, and he yelled, The world doesn't revolve around you! I remember saying back, How do you know that? And then promptly thinking, If I can't see the world through any other person's eyes, and I'm the only one that can see everything, then the world does revolve around me. Everything is there for my existence. I was probably around 10 years old then. My father didn't have the answer, and neither did I. We were just both frustrated. Well, he was more frustrated than I was. Although I didn't know it, and nor did my father, I was arguing for something called solipsism, which is the philosophical view that only the self exists, and you cannot prove otherwise. Very interesting thought. 
Children ask some crazy questions. But when you realize that those questions are questions that philosophers have a lot of trouble answering, it makes you think. I'm sure a lot of us had similar thoughts and questions pop up in our minds as kids. When you are a child, you imagine a lot of things. And in that imagination you think, and you ask questions. It is the perfect time to introduce healthy skepticism into children. Embrace and cherish their crazy questions and ideas. Answer them if you can. If you can't, do some research, if you find the time, and try to come up with some answers. If you don't want to do the research, maybe ask them more questions about what they are thinking and show them how to research when the time is right. I don't have kids of my own, but I plan to encourage my future little philosophers and their questions as much as I can manage. This very thing is what drove Carl Sagan to his successful career in science. His parents weren't scientists, and they apparently knew almost nothing about science, but they were able to introduce him to skepticism and to wonder. As he explains, quote, They taught me the two uneasily cohabiting modes of thought that are central to the scientific method. He goes on to say that in his schooling, before college, he did not have any inspirational teachers in science. As his preface is titled, My Teachers, you find out right away that the public educational system gave Carl, quote, no sense of wonder, no hint of an evolutionary perspective, and nothing about the mistaken ideas that everybody had once believed, end quote. He goes on to say, quote, there was no encouragement to pursue our own interests or hunches or conceptual mistakes. For Carl Sagan, School was just memorizing facts and getting little fulfillment out of education. It wasn't until he went to college that he felt more fulfilled. In his words, quote, I found teachers who not only understood science, but who were actually able to explain it. Looking back at my school experience, I'm willing to agree with my boy Carl. Although I had many good teachers at good old Shemokin, Pennsylvania there, bot. <laughs> I didn't get true fulfillment in education until I went off to college. I was among many great peers who were like-minded as well as learning from professors that were passionate about each subject. I no longer had to sit through classes with 20-some kids who didn't care about learning or, better yet, weren't inspired to learn. In high school, I once had an Algebra two teacher who was so boring that most of the kids were sleeping in his class as he sluggishly rolled through algebra equations on the board. I stayed awake to learn the subject because I genuinely enjoyed math, but it was rough. And staying awake, I would notice him winking at one of the other only girls that were awake in the class as he stepped through his terribly boring lesson plan. So when I went to college, I traded my pervy Algebra 2 teacher for professors that took the time to explain how exciting math can be and what you can actually do with it. Now to give my school some credit, Shemokin, Pennsylvania, there were some very great teachers while I spent my time there. To go through a few of them that I think really helped shape my teenage years into who I am today. Mr. McGugan. He's an art teacher. Art? What? Mr. McGugan challenged me artistically and would field many of my questions about many other subjects. He was great in that he didn't just make you learn the facts. He genuinely cared about helping you understand the many facets of art. And I am super grateful for that guy. Also, 
he was just super cool to talk to. So, you know, Mr. McGoogs. Mrs. Tarofsky, an English teacher. English, what? I thought this podcast was going to be about science. Well, for me, Mrs. Tarofsky was probably one of the most influential teachers in my high school experience. She really encouraged me to write, and in her classes, we spent time writing and researching how to form arguments and even have real debates in class. Her classes were challenging for me, but I loved every minute of it, and it led me to taking philosophy courses in college. It opened my mind and soul to the wonders of thought, and to think it all started from a teacher who I hear is now a corrections officer in a prison. I always wondered why she left teaching. She was so good at it. My guess is that the pay wasn't good enough. Go figure. I always wanted to tell her how much of an impact she had on me. So Mrs. Tarofsky, Mrs. T, not the pierogies Mrs. T, but the one who shared my love of George Carlin, one of the greatest comics to ever live, by the way, thank you very much. You may have forgotten me, but I didn't forget you. You the best. Okay. Did I have any influential science teachers in high school? You betcha. Mr. Colangelo. Science. I had him for AP Physics and AP Chemistry. Uh, This guy is probably the reason I ended up going to college for physics, and I don't regret it one bit. In 8th grade, I fondly remember him playing Bill Nye videos, piquing my interest in science. It wasn't just memorizing facts. He was giving us Bill Nye. Very important stuff there. From his classes, I learned that I didn't like chemistry. Too much to remember for me. Luckily, I went to a college that let me take computer science instead. Now, physics. That was where it was at for me. All I had to do was know math and remember some of Newton's laws. Easy. He was an amazing science teacher. And I remember a very interesting memory. Um, While he was teaching in our AP physics class... Halfway through the year, mind you, he was stopped with a question. No big deal. He was great at answering questions and trying to help people out. The question came from a person who didn't pay much attention in the class, and she was starting to obviously fail the course as a senior. And Mr. Colangelo called on her when she raised her hand, and she asked, What is a kilogram? To which the whole class kind of chuckled, um, because at this point in the course... Everyone knew it was a measurement for weight that we frequently used in our calculations and homework and on tests. So as the class erupted in laughter, um, mainly because I think everyone was surprised at the question, the student called him a bad teacher for laughing at her question, albeit it may have been mean, but this question was asked and answered before even taking AP Physics. The conversation went on until he told her to go to the principal's office. It was uh, an interesting time. Um, Anyway, I digressed. That story doesn't show you how great of a teacher he was, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Mr. Colangelo was an amazing teacher, and I appreciate all that he did. Sorry for completely failing that AP physics exam. I didn't know how to study in high school, and nor did I spend the time to. I was too busy working at Mickey D's and playing video games all the time. But then when you think about it, maybe it was because high school wasn't really great in terms of education. High school didn't challenge me as hard as college did. In college, I learned how to study. In high school, I didn't have to because it was too easy. 
at least in my opinion. I know that's probably, that sounds so humble. Here comes your humble Joe. Humble, humble, humble. College, as Sagan presents it, was really a great place to get fulfillment in science and even others' disciplines like philosophy and religious studies. As Sagan says about his college experience, quote, it was considered unthinkable for an aspiring physicist not to know Plato, Aristotle, Bach, Shakespeare, Gibbon, Malinowski, and Freud, among many others. In an introductory class, Ptolemy's view that the sun revolved around the earth was presented so compellingly that some students found themselves reevaluating their commitment to Copernicus. End quote. For those of you who don't know, Copernicus was the mathematician slash astronomer who posited heliocentrism, which is pretty much instead of the earth being at the center, the sun was at the center as we know it today. Sagan goes on, quote, In this atmosphere, I was able to fill in some of the many gaps in my education, much that had been deeply mysterious, and not just in science, became clear. I would say that I, like Sagan, not that I am Sagan per se, um, I would say that I was lucky to have an experience much like this, thanks to Susquehanna University for being a liberal arts college and making me choose different classes unrelated to my main focus. Along with my math, physics, and computer science, I was able to learn intensely about Plato, Taoism, Confucian ethics, early church history, many other world religions, psychology, aesthetic philosophy, ancient philosophy, modern philosophy, and there I'm sure there was more, but I'm really grateful I got to learn a lot about a lot of those subjects. Although Carl Sagan went on to be fulfilled in college and in graduate school thereafter, he credited his most influential teachers to be his parents. Their willingness to allow him to ask questions and to encourage his desire to be an astronomer made him who he was. Parenting is super important. If you have a kid, you have a real chance to have the next Carl Sagan on your hands. As he says, quote, As I look back, it seems clear to me that I learned the most essential things not from my teachers, nor even my university professors, but from my parents, who knew nothing at all about science, end quote. So, embrace your children with healthy skepticism. Help them learn and let them have the desire to pursue their dreams. I know when I have kids, I'll try my best to give them what Carl Sagan got from his parents. So before you push your kid away for asking questions you don't care to listen to, think about the consequences. Did you just shut them down when they were trying to understand more about our universe and our place in it? What is meaningless to you may be super meaningful to them. And remember, you don't have to be a scientist to enable science into your children's lives.